Welcome to Insights, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Insights is an audio podcast that provides perspective on the opportunities and uncertainties facing investors today. Today's program, the Market Insights Notes on the Week Ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at J.P. Morgan Funds. Today is March 16, 2020. The spread of COVID-19 continues to have a dramatic impact on lifestyles, economic activity, monetary and fiscal policy, and financial markets. For investors, it's important to maintain a disciplined approach in considering the implications of the virus. And there are essentially five issues that need to be examined in such an approach. First, the progress of the disease and its trajectory. Second, the economic impact of private and public measures to contain it. Third, the actions of monetary and fiscal authorities to mitigate these effects. Fourth, how markets have responded. And finally, a disciplined approach to investment decisions. On the disease itself, the global numbers are unfortunately roughly on the same trajectory as a week ago. As of Sunday, March 15th, according to the World Health Organization, there were 72,469 confirmed cases outside of China, up 193% from a week earlier. The crude mortality rate, as measured by cumulative deaths divided by cumulative confirmed cases, was an alarmingly high 3.5%. If the disease were to continue to spread at the same pace and with the same mortality rate, it would have a devastating human toll. However, while the situation remains very grave, there are reasons to believe that both of these numbers will improve somewhat in the weeks ahead. First, the true mortality rate is likely much below a simple calculation of the cumulative number of deaths divided by the cumulative number of confirmed cases. This is because there are very likely many more mild cases of the virus that have not been reported. Second, some countries, and most notably South Korea, appear to be succeeding in halting the growth of the disease through widespread testing and social distancing. In the past week, the number of cases in South Korea rose just 14%, and the crude mortality rate so far is just 9 tenths of 1%, well below the 3.5% number reported so far for the world outside of China. The rest of the world is belatedly adopting these measures, and this should both slow the spread of the disease and reduce its mortality rate. Third, there may be some seasonality to the virus, as witnessed by lower reported case numbers in the Southern Hemisphere. And whether there is or not, better treatments and an eventual vaccine should in time greatly reduce both the mortality rate associated with the disease and the pace at which it is spreading. Having said all of this, the world has woken up to the very real threat of COVID-19 and public and private responses have triggered a breathtaking array of changes in lifestyles. In the US, these changes have included the cancellation of major organized sports and entertainment events, dramatic declines in airline travel and hotel bookings, a complete halt in the cruise line industry, severe declines in visits to restaurants and bars, less severe declines in traffic at retailers other than grocery stores, the wholesale cancellation of industry conferences and the closure of many schools and colleges. The fact that all of this occurred late in the first quarter, combined with surging sales of food necessities, suggests a still solid first quarter GDP number. However, it appears inevitable that the US economy will enter a recession in the second quarter, and this recession could be quite severe in terms of its initial decline in GDP. In particular, reasonable assumptions on a decline in spending across the most impacted sectors of the economy could easily yield an annualized decline in real GDP of between 5% and 10% in the second quarter. Thereafter, in a best-case scenario, social distancing achieves a sharp slowdown in the spread of the disease and new fatalities. This allows authorities to authorize a slow return to normality, albeit with strict social distancing guidelines. 
Even in this scenario, the knock-on effects of employment losses from a traumatic second quarter could well result in a further quarter of negative economic growth in the third quarter, meeting the unofficial definition of recession. Thereafter, however, the economy could begin a slow recovery. It's also important to recognize that this recession will be quite different from the 2007-2009 experience. That recession, which was centered in the construction and financial services industries, was very significant from a corporate earnings and equity market perspective, somewhat less so from a GDP perspective, and less significant still from an employment perspective, despite the fact that the unemployment rate topped out at 10%. This recession will be centered in the leisure, entertainment, and food services and retail sectors. These industries account for more than a fifth of U.S. employment, but are less significant when measured in GDP terms as con- or as contributors to the stock market. Consequently, the most immediate impact of the recession should be a very sharp rise in unemployment, while corporate profits, although very cyclical, should fare better than in the great financial crisis. However, beyond the initial impact of social distancing, the pace at which the economy is likely to recover depends, to a significant extent, on the effectiveness of monetary and fiscal measures. In an emergency move on Sunday, the Federal Reserve cut the federal funds rate by a full 1% to a range of 0 to 25 basis points, following a 50 basis point cut on March 3rd. In addition, it resumed quantitative easing, pledging to boost its holdings of treasuries by $500 billion and mortgage-backed securities by $200 billion over coming months. In further measures to encourage bank lending, it cut the discount rate by 150 basis points, set reserve requirements at 0%, and urged banks to use capital and liquidity buffers to lend to the households and businesses affected by the crisis. Other major central banks are also in easing mode, and all major developed country central banks are likely to move policy rates to near zero in the, in the days ahead. However, while these moves may ultimately support equity markets by funneling money from bonds and cash accounts towards stocks, the uncomfortable truth is that monetary authorities have no real ability to combat the type of economic weakness that is emerging from social distancing. In the US, on the fiscal side, the House has passed a package that includes paid emergency leave and free COVID-19 testing. However, this will neither provide a significant fiscal boost to the economy nor provide adequate protection to laid-off workers. On this second point, unfortunately, workers in the leisure, hospitality and retail industries have some of the lowest wages and shortest hours in the, in the country. Most employment, unemployment benefits are calculated as a fraction of earnings in recent quarters, often equaling half of those earnings. Because of this, while many of these workers will be eligible for unemployment benefits, these benefits will be completely inadequate for those who are already struggling to live paycheck to paycheck. This also won't help the self-employed or those working short hours or the many businesses, large and small, that will be pushed towards bankruptcy by this sudden recession. A further fiscal package, perhaps containing some protection for small businesses, enhanced unemployment benefits and a payroll tax cut, is likely to be implemented in the coming months. However, it is unlikely to be sufficiently large or arrive sufficiently soon to ward off a significant recession. Outside of the United States, the story is likely to be similar, with meaningful fiscal packages still only able to mitigate some of the effects of a global recession rather than prevent it from occurring. Global markets have reacted violently over the past three weeks as the implications of COVID-19 have come into sharper focus. With the Dow Jones Industrial Average rising or falling by more than 1,000 points in nine of the last 15 trading days. Overall, since hitting an all-time high on February 19th, the S&P 500 has fallen by 20%, while measured in U.S. dollars, the MSCI EFA index has fallen by 27%, and the MSCI EM index has declined by 19%. Meanwhile, the 10-year Treasury yield has fallen from 1.56% to 0.8%, while the dollar has drifted down, perhaps reflecting smaller interest rate differentials among developed countries. Within the U.S., uh, large caps have outperformed small caps, while growth stocks have done better than value. 
For all of the, while all of this is dismal, it does suggest that relative valuations in U.S. equity markets have not yet been disturbed by the market slide. In addition, the sell-off has left the U.S. dollar looking overvalued, international stocks looking relatively undervalued, as was the case before the slump. For long-term investors, this suggests that there are still important opportunities for strategic overweights and underweights, even as they assess the more immediate implications of a social distancing recession. Finally, how should long-term investors respond to the COVID-19 market slump? A few principles are important. First, recognize that no matter the trauma caused by the virus, these effects are temporary. If 2020 is the year of the virus, then 2021 will be very likely the first year of recovery. The value of stocks depends on earnings for years and decades in the future, not just the year ahead. Second, while many will have the urge to reduce risk in their portfolios, they should recognize that the market has to some extent already done that for them. A simple portfolio weighted 60% of the S&P 500 stock index and 40% to the Barclays aggregate bond index at the start of the year would now be weighted 55% stocks and 45% bonds. Third, valuations matter. For long-term investors, given even given a social distancing recession, market moves have probably enhanced prospective long-term returns from equities while reducing them for bonds. In addition, both EM and DM stocks appear to have a valuation advantage over US stocks, particularly given a still overvalued US dollar. Fourth, the plunge in interest rates, both at the short end and long end, increase the importance of finding sources of income elsewhere, including dividend-paying stocks and alternatives such as real estate and infrastructure. Finally, the dislocation of the economy and markets from a social distancing recession should provide plenty of opportunities for active managers. The companies that will succeed are those that have the financial stability to survive the downturn and the products and services to thrive in a somewhat altered economy that will emerge following the social distancing recession. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. If you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your JP Morgan representative. This content has been produced for information purposes only. And as such, the views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or recommendation to buy or sell any investment or interest thereto. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the recipient. The material was prepared without regard to specific objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular receiver. Any research in this asset has been obtained and may have been acted upon by J.P. Morgan Asset Management for its own purpose. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, unless otherwise stated, as of the date of production. They are considered to be reliable at that time, but no warranty as to the accuracy and reliability or completeness in respect of any error or omission is accepted. They may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated. Copyright 2018. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company.